Welcome back to the Technician Academy podcast, where we bring the automotive industry thought leaders of today and of tomorrow to the mic to share their industry expertise with you. For this episode, we've invited technical training expert Chris Chesney to join the conversation. Chris is the Senior Director of Customer Training for CarQuest Technical Institute, and he's also a contributor to the Motor Age magazine. Much of the upcoming discussion revolves around one of the articles that he recently wrote for Motor Edge. This article is titled, Implementing a Mentorship Model in Your Business. In the podcast, Chris also talks about the value of showing future automotive professionals career paths, and he also gives us a glimpse into a forthcoming project that he is closely involved with. This project is called Pathways in Technology Early College High School. Keep on listening to learn more about this new type of schooling. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know if there's anyone that you would like to hear from or if you would like to join the conversation. Your suggestions and your feedback are important to us. So feel free to shoot us a message or give us a call at any time. Also, be sure to subscribe to our channels and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Here's your host. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Chris Chesney with us, a leader in the industry and a forward-facing gentleman who who is leading the training efforts within the industry. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Richard. Good to be with you. Well, it's our pleasure. Well, I thank you for taking some time out of your very, very busy schedule to, to speak with us on the podcast. It's hard to find a white space on my calendar, but you lucked out, so you're the winner today. Well, I, I will take that humbly and thankfully. So, Chris, for the listeners, um, because our listener base is, is quite diverse, uh, just tell the listeners about your time in the industry and length in the industry. Well, guys, you said we only had an hour. Um, <laughs> I've been in the industry. This is my 46th year in the industry, Richard. I, I started uh, at a very young age. Um, obviously from a professional uh, perspective, but my passion has been the automobile since a very young age. Uh, I've served the industry as a a technician. I still consider myself a technician. Uh, I pulled wrenches in anger starting in the the early 70s uh, and uh, worked my way through to be uh, a shop owner, a trainer, uh, worked for Snap-on for a period of time actually several times as a, a dealer, uh, a special rep, a trainer, helped start Snap-on Training Systems. Uh, started my own training group uh, in Colorado in the 90s. Um, started CarQuest Technical Institute uh, in the late 90s uh, with uh, CarQuest and uh, have uh, enjoyed the last 20 years as the leader of, of CarQuest Technical Institute. So. Uh, it's been a great career. It's something that I love doing. And and uh, the, the beauty of this industry is that it always changes. Every day is different. That is very true. So as, as leader in your current position as the leader of CarQuest Technical Institute, CTI, um, I mean, you're, you're putting training out there for the end technician. Is that correct? That's true. The last 20 years, we've uh, delivered over five to six. I haven't counted in the last couple of years, so I need to count again. Probably pretty close to six million man hours worth of training. Uh, we have 150,000 individual names in our uh, database and about 85,000 shops that we've impacted over the last 20 years. Uh, and And today we're uh, partnering with our uh, sister company, Worldpack and Worldpack Training Institute, to bring both of the, the groups together uh, so that we can move to a different uh, way of approaching our challenge of training the industry from what we do today and have done over the last 20 years, which is essentially selling what we've got coming up with a cool title and a great description that entices a shop owner to send their technicians to a, a night or a day or a couple nights worth of, of training uh, so that we can do it again, uh, which is really a poor reason and way to train people and educate people and grow people. Uh, 
but um, we currently uh, are moving our model towards uh, uh, filling that need in a more meaningful and structured way. Uh, I have 60, over 60 uh, technical instructors uh, on staff and a uh, management staff of about uh, 12 uh, that work for me directly uh, to create our own content, uh, to train our own trainers, to onboard those trainers, to support them, uh, to schedule training and to evaluate that training. And then uh, those trainers are uh, our direct link to our customer in the classroom where they're uh, face to face with them every day, every evening, uh, all across the country in 260 locations where we visit every other month. Uh, and uh, we continue to grow. We've onboarded uh, probably eight trainers in the last, yet uh, this year, and we have another boot camp uh, next week in Denver. Uh, so we're in a growth mode uh, on top of it all. Well, that's, that's, that's exciting for me to hear. I mean, as a technician and I, I like, am like you, I, I still consider myself a technician. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you have, and it's kind of a side note here, but you have been in training for, for several years, uh, starting your own training group. How do you see, and, and this is a, probably a two part question, but I think you're very key in being able to answer this is first off, we know training has changed. The, the systems, the, the vehicle has changed drastically since you first started yeah. in the training side. But I see a lot of the time a lack of enthusiasm by today's technicians to come to a training event. Yeah. Has that changed in the last 10 years? Well, I don't know that it's changed the last 10 years. It certainly changed the last 20 to 30 years. I would tell you that in my career, uh, I always look back in my career because I don't think I'm much different than anyone else. I didn't go to trade school to, to learn my craft. I, I was thrown in the deep end of the pool. Uh, and I'm self-taught. I actually went to school to be a, an engineer. Uh, wanted to go to Detroit and design cars with one of the big three and took a field trip as a sophomore in college to SAE Congress at the end of January and asked myself, why would I ever want to live here? Uh, <laughs> if you've been to Detroit, nothing bad about Detroit. Great town, bad weather in January. Yeah, um, And so I chose the path that I chose. And I would tell you that at that point in time, and we would go to school if we went to trade school for two years to get an associate's degree to learn how to work on, say, a 70 Mustang. And we, we could memorize 95% of what we needed to know. Uh, torque values were pretty easy to remember. Uh, dwell specs, nobody on the phone on the podcast is going to know what a dwell spec <laughs> is. Or yeah. timing. Uh, we, we would memorize those because they were standard for a four, six, and eight cylinder vehicle. And so it was very simple to go to school for two years and understand the things you needed to, to know and practice those and prove those skills and then go get a job where you could be handed a ticket a repair order and go to the service bay and perform that work on that vehicle uh, with a high level of confidence by the shop owner that it was going to be done right. Well, let's fast forward to today. Today, we're asking a, a person that enters this industry that makes the decision to come into the industry to go to two years worth of vocational school. And we still have that same expectation, especially the average shop owner who is over 50 years old or approaching 60 years old, who has the, the uh, perception that a kid coming out of vocational school should be able to work on the average vehicle today. And that's, that's a definition of insanity. The vehicles between 70 and today have dramatically changed. The vehicles between 2017 and today have dramatically changed. And that's only one year. Yes. And the change we're going to see in the next five years is going to be more than we've seen in this industry in its entire history. 
And I don't say that lightly, Richard. I say that because I understand what's being built. Yeah. And the approach we're going to take. So we, as training changed or the vehicles changed, yes, but our approach to training back in the day was we could go to school or we could go to training and we could learn what we needed to learn and we could keep up with technology because technology was moving at a snail's pace. But today, our ability to go to training and our appetite for that is waning because we see technology advance so quickly that some people are becoming disenfranchised and discouraged because they can't see the technology in front of them. It's gone out of sight and they become discouraged because of that. Yeah, I I think you're on a very key point there is they become discouraged. Yeah. And kind of another piece of that is I don't know that the industry has been very good at actually presenting the true industry to a prospective technician. Well, we have two things with respect to that, Richard. I think, one, we've never described what the opportunities are in this industry ever. Uh, Shop owners uh, consider a technician to be a technician. You'll always be a technician. You'll be nothing more than a technician. And then we don't uh, don't, uh, set standards of performance in our own businesses, uh, you know, in the way of education and ongoing training for our people. The number one uh, reason for leaving a training program in our program and any other is I can't get my technicians to go, which points directly to a leadership problem. Yes. And I've written to that and spoke to that. And that's really the crux of the whole issue with our industry today. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit a little bit later in the discussion. But one thing I want everybody to understand you're not just speaking about these things because you're sitting at the desk at CTI. You're you're involved in a lot of organizations that are on the cusp of the future and, and how training needs to be focused. Tell the listeners a little bit about those. Well, about four years ago, uh, Mark Saxenberg at Toyota, who some people uh, will recognize that name. Mark's been a lifelong friend. He and I were both trainers in Colorado before he moved to California to work for Toyota, and uh, he approached me at Vision uh, in Kansas City at the Vision Show um, and recruited me and recruited Rob Morell, my counterpart at WorldPAC, uh, to join the effort at NASTAF, the National Automotive Service Task Force, uh, to uh, help remodel the education uh, part of our industry. And I said, Mark, I, number one, I don't have time for that. I've got things to do. And he says, you're, you two are the only ones that can do this because you have the brand recognition and the majority of, of the shops that recognize you as, as leaders in the industry and they'll pay attention to you. And I said, well, I said, let's think about it. Well, it took him about six months, but he shamed me into it and shamed Rob into it. And <laughs> I joined the NASTEP board about four years ago, uh, almost five years ago. Uh, Rob is our education team co-chair, along with Jill Saunders from Toyota. And uh, at that point in time, we launched the Road to Great Technicians Project uh, in Kansas City at Vision in 2016 as kind of the start to some of this work. and. I made the call to action during that event after about eight experts testified to the status of the aftermarket training uh, industry. And I really called it like I saw it. Uh, I, I challenged the industry and everybody in the room to take off their brand, to take off your name tag, to leave your agenda at the door and sit down at the table and have a conversation as an industry member to solve this problem. And anytime I do that, I'm convicting myself. Uh, and it, I look back at my participation in training or in the early days, in the early nineties in Colorado when the admission program was launched. And I recognized there was a huge gap in knowledge and understanding of how systems worked. And if they were going to implement a transient emissions program that 
that was measured in grams per mile that, uh, and the technicians were required to make the car operate the way it was designed to pass those tests that we had to, I had to get involved, but more importantly, I had to be committed to that involvement. And so when I made that statement at the, at the, uh, NASDAQ spring meeting in 2016 at, in Kansas city, I committed myself on stage to be involved and committed to the effort because I was making the, I was challenging the industry to do so. So you're going to stand up and challenge the industry. You better be committed to doing it. So I currently am a board member of NASDAQ. I sit on the education committee, a team that is charged with the road grade technicians project, which is hyper-focused on remodeling the framework of education for the career path of a technician from the point in time that they decide to enter the industry to the point in time that they decide to retire. We're defining that career path and the curriculum requirements for that career path so that curriculum providers like myself and any of my peers in the industry can hang their curriculum off of that framework and offer that career path to the industry. So there's still a competitive space uh, for all of us to play in. Uh, I also uh, belong to the ASC Training Managers Council. I'm the past chair of that organization where uh, several hundred uh, industry training managers meet on an, on an annual basis and gather uh, in, support, uh, in support of uh, technicians across the country in various organizations trying to improve our training programs so that we can uh, grow the technician uh, that we need in our service space. Um, I, I belong as well to the Tech Force Foundation Future Tech Success uh, Cabinet, uh, which I'll be um, meeting with next week in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, uh, as part of the Skills USA uh, event. And that organization is focused on uh, two things, primarily improving the, the image of the industry uh, by uh, really creating some great marketing opportunities. I invite everybody to, to visit futuretechsuccess.org. I'll, I'll post that to you, Richard, uh, after the podcast. And, Absolutely. Uh, and encourage people to get involved with that. So that improves the image of the industry. But Tech Force and Future Tech Success are also acting as the central voice of all the efforts in the industry, which uh, if, you, if you talk about the A's, I call them all the A's. You've got ACA, the Auto Care Association. You've got ASA, you've got AASP, you've got NATAC, you've got AES, you've got all the associations that you're associated with as a shop owner or a technician all are out there trying to solve the technician shortage and influence uh, parents and doing all this work, but they're all siloed. Nobody knows about them. It amazes me every time I sit down at a conference and listen to somebody's project, I'm going, that's awesome. Why don't I know about that? And so Tech Force is acting as that central voice to stand on the mountaintop and talk about all these efforts but I will tell you, Richard, all these, all this work, all these things that I'm involved in, I see industry coming together. I see industry taking their logos off their shirt and coming in, leaving their agenda at the door and having a conversation, conversation that's meaningful and work is getting done. And it's so exciting to see that happen because five years ago, I'd have told you that was impossible. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I uh, had the opportunity, I was at Vision 2017 and you'd done the keynote there. And, and a couple of the things that, that come out, stood out to me in that keynote was you talked about career paths, showing these young people career paths, opportunity for growth and, and how to change the pay structure in the Bay. Are you seeing those items change for the better? Yeah. Uh, the work that NASTEF is doing uh, and our road grade technicians team is doing is creating those uh, career paths. Uh, I don't wait for that to, to hit industry before uh, my team does anything. In fact, we're committed uh, on our 
in our company to model that for industry. So we have several projects in play with respect to that, uh, one of which we'll announce very shortly that uh, will give your uh, your listeners uh, a chance to uh, to kind of hear uh, about that if we've got a second, and that is we're building a P-TECH uh, uh, vocational school model or P-TECH high school model uh, that we will pilot uh, with students in the fall of 2020 that is really a six-year high school where they're immersed in project-based learning uh, that has a STEM core uh, that has three career paths, uh, technical, business, and engineering, with the ability of that student to walk out of a six-year program with a high school diploma and associates of science or business uh, degree uh, that is transferable to uh, continue an engineering degree, to continue a business degree, or to go to work with real uh, experience uh, in the service bay, applied in a working shop for two years uh, to go to work for a shop, uh, being able to, to do a break job, to be able to do uh, an inspection properly, to be able to do front-end alignments properly, uh, and be able to go to work uh, effectively and productively in a shop with no debt incurred. Wow. Uh, and so we're going to model this. Uh, so I will tell you that's that's what we're focused on, but I'll also tell you, Richard, in bringing industry together, we bring those that have already had these thoughts. I will tell you my my next original idea will be my first. Uh, I'll give credit where credit is due on that statement. That was a Jim Lender statement from many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the solutions to all these problems are laying on the table. It's up to us as industry to organize them and bring them together so that it makes sense for industry and then and then model it for industry so that others can can see that idea in action. And that's what many that have come to the table are doing. So all these things are in action already. We just need to make it visible to the industry and model it so that they can jump on board. Yeah, that that's exciting. I mean, the, the possibilities that that would unleash. Um, because, I mean... And especially the last part that at no expense, uh, you know, and that's really the industry putting their dollar where they need to put it. Um, that, that's, that's great. Now, you know, there's no, we hear about the buzz of technician shortage and, and I'm not going to argue that there's a shortage of qualified technicians, but what I would add to that is I think there's a shortage in all positions in the industry and and I don't think there's a shortage of people that can uh, buy a toolbox down at Craftsman, and I'm not knocking Craftsman tools, but and walk in and turn a wrench. But the true shortage is is the qualified technician, the one who who could go through this six year mm-hmm. program and come out and and be able to do something. And then I think the shortage that I mentioned is in all positions is is at the parts counter, is that distribution I, I think that there's a lot of shortages out there that we, but we focus so much on the technician and and my experience is as a technician i am absolutely useless if i don't have a good service advisor or a good parts man amen you know that's the the foundation of uh of the school that we're building and it's also the foundation of the road to great technicians while we're starting with the technician uh pathway um, we will model it for a service advisor, for a service manager, for shop owners, uh, for parts uh, counter people uh, as well. Our P-TECH school has a three-path uh, uh, system that is engineering, business, and technical, and they'll make the decision, students will make that decision of which path they want to go down uh, after their sophomore year. Uh, so that they, they'll be immersed in everything. They'll be immersed in all three pathways in their first two years as they're taking their core curriculum. But the important thing is to help them identify what turns them on and what they get excited about uh, early in their education rather than waiting for them to go through a two-year program at a vocational school at, or for 
uh, a school that is a for-profit school and incur dollars $40,000 in debt, go out and have to buy five dollars to $10,000 worth of tools just to get a job to change oil and stand in a service bay, either changing the oil or uh, in a shop that took a risk to have them do brake jobs but didn't show them how to do it because they didn't implement that knowledge that they learned in a two-year program by uh, implementing a, an apprenticeship program. And they're standing in the service bay and they're going, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm going to change my career. And they end up with $50,000 worth of debt having to live in mom's basement and go go find another career. We've got to stop that. We we create today, we create technicians at the rate of about 25,000 technicians out of vocational, uh, NATEF certified vocational programs a year. And the belief was that we had a technician shortage. And But you'd go ask for support to that. And you'd look at the Bureau of Labor Standards data every two years, and it would match what we're producing. And so it was hard to make that case. But the Tech Force Foundation worked with the Bureau of Labor Standards last year and remodeled the algorithm to be more realistic with the today's advances in technology with the aging uh, population of technicians. The average age of a technician is woefully high. Uh, our ATMC survey data shows that the, the average tech that responds to our survey, of which we get over 5,000 respondents, 70% are 45 or older, 40% are 55 or older. That's scary. So when we consider that we've got people ready to retire in the next year, over half the technician population is eligible to retire in the next five to seven years, then we've got a technician shortage. And the data showed that TechForce produced that we need about 75,000 techs a year to fill the need and the gap between now and 2021. Yeah, I remember when TechForce brought out that study. And of course, you know, I, I monitor and look at stuff every day trying to find information and, and seeing the latest information in the industry. And, and, and TechForce's numbers just absolutely blew the Bureau of Labor Standards uh, estimates completely yeah. apart and, and I nearly double. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely an issue. And, and, I see things like, you know, this, this P-TECH program. Uh, wow. The, the things that that can do, uh, working towards solving that issue. And, you know, and another thing, uh, and I want to bring up how important, I mean, you talk about P-TECH as a high school. How important is it for us to start talking to middle schoolers? Is it important to kind of get them started thinking? Yeah, I think so. I think that today's uh, uh, youth, and we blame the millennials for everything and the Z generation and and so forth. So um, we've got to recognize that the millennials uh, grew up with technology. They've never been without a a cell phone or technology. Uh, they, They don't know what analog is. Uh, they've, my granddaughter, four year old granddaughter can run on iPhone, uh, better than I can or a grandmother and, and it's intuitive to them. Uh, so when we talk about the youth of today, uh, I think that the high school youth have already made up their mind what they want to do. They've been influenced by technology and their parents and their influencers, uh, over the, through their elementary and middle school years through that technology. So we have to get to the middle school kids and even the elementary school kids. Uh, and, and we do that through, uh, you know, groups like tech force and others that are, that are putting tactical, tactile, um, uh, experiences out there and getting in front of them. That's what ATMC is working on in cooperation with those groups to, to create those tactile opportunities to get in front of kids and expose them to what we do, but more importantly, to expose the parents and the influencers like the Boy Scout and Girl Scout leaders and clergy and, and uh, you know, those people that are influencing those kids on a daily basis, big brothers and sisters, so that we have an opportunity to dip those kids' toes in the water and let them see what we do uh, 
in all of the positions that we have available. And I think that, you know, we've had the elements to do that, Richard, for many years through AS and the shadowing uh, programs that were available to high school instructors. But nobody from industry really holds them accountable to the way they shadow. There's a handful of people and instructors out there that do it right. But the common shadowing uh, efforts that I see are we're going to take a field trip today to Richard's Automotive and we're going to take 25 high school kids down and watch Richard's shop for an hour and a half and we're going to go home. That's not shadowing. Shadowing is bringing one kid to your shop and letting him or her watch a tech for uh, half a day and watch a service advisor for a half a day and watch the shop owner for a half a day. That's shadowing. And so if we do it in earnest and with meaning and, and it, it works, yeah. but we shortcut everything. So in some ways we've got to do it for industry. And that's why we've gone down the path of looking at, at a project based learning uh, program that really creates what we want to create. And that is a mentorship apprenticeship cycle that creates mentors for life where the mentor, the, in our school, the uh, juniors and seniors in the school are going to be mentors to the freshmen and sophomore. The 13th and 14th grade kids are going to be the mentors for the juniors and seniors. And every position you hold within that school, you will act as both an apprentice and a mentor. You'll be apprentice to the next level and you'll mentor the level below you. And it's that concept of being a mentor for life that we need to drive so that we can continue to grow people within our businesses. And we've got to get over the fear of um, training my replacement. I heard that the other day <laughs> and, and it shocked me. <laughs> um, don't be afraid of training your replacement. Shop owners need to get past training and they'll leave or training and, and, uh, uh, I've got too many people. Uh, you've got to get past the fact that you're going to lose people. And if you're not training to replace those people, when you lose them, it takes six months to a year to get back to normal. Can you afford that? Yeah, I think Zig Ziglar had a comment or a quote that was, uh, don't be f- feared of training and the employee yeah. leaving. And I'm not going to get it exactly right. Be feared of not training and keeping them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and, and it's very true. And, and you wrote an article and, and you write, contribute to a lot of articles. But one that stood out to me was about mentorship. Yep. And and it was in a motor age publication. And, and there was some things in it that I wanted to, to discuss with you. Uh, first off, you were a mentor at 24 years of age. Yeah. Now, now, and the reason why I point that out, not that you weren't qualified, Chris, but a lot of people get in this mentality that a mentor has to be the oldest guy in the shop uh, the most seasoned technician but obviously i mean at 24 years of age you probably weren't the oldest gentleman in the shop i was far from the oldest guy in the shop um and i i did some uh reevaluation of my career when i was going down this uh, mentorship apprenticeship process a couple of years ago and trying to, to identify the, the uh, concerns that the industry has with how do we select a mentor and who's the right mentor. And, and we were approaching this as, uh, as ASE was trying to uh, upgrade the mentorship piece uh, for uh, AES and, uh, of course, SB2 and Kyle Holt have, have taken that task on and have done a great job of that. But as I was reviewing that and trying to search for those answers, I just relived those days when I was a mentor and asked the questions, why was I chosen? And how did we implement that? And how did we pay our apprentices? And what was the result? And all those things were great. I mean, average term was uh, 12 to 24 months, depending on the uh, the kid, because we weren't teaching outcomes, we were teaching competency-based skills. So it was at the pace of the apprentice, and if they got it, they got it, and we moved on to the next thing at their pace. 
And once they were able to prove those competencies, we turned them loose on the line. And I was paid, uh, I was able to flag their hours and I was responsible for those, that work. But I had to pay half the salary of the, of the apprentice, which back then was about five, my share was about five to $6 an hour. Uh, but I was flagging, right. I was flagging some serious hours. I felt guilty. I bought my, my best apprentice. I bought him a toolbox with tools because I, <laughs> I felt guilty. I got on the tool truck and said, put all that on my account. Uh, and, and I was, I was chosen not because I was the old guy. Uh, Pete Petrowski was the old guy in the shop and he was an apprentice. He was a mentor as well. But because of his attitude and his willingness to share and his his vision of growing people, young people in the industry, that's why he was chosen. I was chosen for the same thing, but I was also chosen because I was in the position that my apprentice was moving into. And it's that concept of being in that apprentice-mentor-apprentice-mentor cycle of sharing knowledge, don't be don't be afraid that you're giving up the your trade secrets. You're not if you're giving up your trade secrets, you're diagnosing by silver bullets, and you can buy those from Identifix. So get over that. Uh, at the end of the day, we've got to we've got to identify those that are willing to share, that have a passion for learning, which I do, uh, and saw an opportunity to benefit not only the apprentice, but yourself financially. Well, and, and you made a statement a statement there, and in, in the article it talks about that uh, you put more weight upon yourself to know what you were mentoring on. Yeah, I, I would tell you that mentorship uh, taught me to be prepared for the answer I was afraid was coming. I, I did not want to have Kevin... Uh, who was my best uh, apprentice, Kevin Hubbard. Uh, I've lost track of Kevin. Last uh, he, I knew he was in Ely, Minnesota, fishing every day and was the Ford uh, uh, service director uh, uh, at a Ford dealership there. And I, if he ever hears this, call me, Kevin. Kevin, I, I miss talking to you. But Kevin, uh, at the end of the day, he would be paid appropriately and given the, the, the challenges that uh, I would expect myself to do. Uh, and if he had a question, I need to be able to provide that answer. So if I gave him a challenge or a job and I couldn't answer why, because you know how young techs are going to be. Well, why do I do it that way? I was taught in school to do it this way. Why, why do I do it that way? Why do I check lateral run out on a brake job? That seems silly to me. I just turned the rotors. Well, here's why. So I had to be prepared for that. That taught me how to be a trainer, how to be an instructor. I teach every day with the fear of the question I can't answer. And every one of my 60 instructors and my 12 staff approach it in the same way. Be prepared to answer every question, especially the one you're scared will come up. Yeah, I mean, and having myself been in front of there's nothing more daunting than a room full of, <laughs> you know, well, and, and then you get to when you're doing training to today's technicians. I mean, you, you show up on a hot July evening and uh, you're put in front of 20, 25 today's technicians that uh, probably you know, you're just, you've got to be prepared for that question that they may never ask, but you've got to be prepared for that question and, and, and to be able to answer that question. And, and that is, I, personally, I enjoy that challenge uh, and I enjoy that interaction. So, I mean, I think it's a key step in, in having a good trainer and, and providing that. So, you know, in, in the article, we also talk. You also talked about to be a great mentor, you have to be a great mentee. Oh yeah. So, and, and kind of going back to your mentioning of of training your replacement, I think that's something that the industry has a real trouble with. You know, they do. I, I think it's just the old attitude: uh, flat rate, 
uh, getting in the road, uh, uh, the way we pay technicians uh, through uh, nothing but flat rate, so it's production only, and I'm not going to teach my replacement a uh, um, uh, all my tricks uh, so that I can get the gravy jobs and I can get the hard jobs that pay really well. You know, I didn't teach uh, very many people when I was at Toyota how to do a knuckle pack on a Land Cruiser as fast as I did it because I wanted to, I wanted that 10 hour job because I could do it in an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, you know, right. those types that, that was the attitude. And I think that that attitude is pervasive in the, in the world of flat rate. It's just a natural outcome of that. And so I think you, you pay what you want, uh, in the way of, of performance. And so if you want, uh, growth, if you want to see your team share and grow as a team, you've got to pay them accordingly. Um, and, and so I think it's just a byproduct of our business practices, which I've challenged the industry for the last several years that, you know, you we're working on a 50 year business model that's been broken for 49 years. We've got to start running our businesses in a much different way, a much more modern and thoughtful way today than we've ever thought of. Well, let, let me ask this. I mean, because you, it, I, I agree wholeheartedly it is a broken business model. At, at CTI, and I'm sure I know the answer to this, but do you guys work at, at providing training just specifically to shop owners on these type of business practices? Yes. Uh, we have uh, both CTI and WTI. We have a variety of, of service sales, uh, business management, we have 20 groups, uh, smart groups. Uh, we have mastermind opportunities. Uh, and we talk about uh, uh, business models with respect to workflow. Uh, workflow is a big one today. Uh, we, we do talk about pay to a certain extent in some of the classes. That uh, becomes a touchy area with some people. But we talk more uh philosophically about paying what you want to, what the outcomes to be. Uh, if you're paying flat rates, you're going to get that kind of outcome. Right. Uh, if you're paying salary, you may get uh, the opposite outcome. Uh, but if you blend all of that together, you can, you can get a result that is growth in your team, uh, product production that uh, meets your requirements. And if you implement workflow uh, processes that treat your technicians as the production department and serve everything to them so they don't have to go run and get everything, uh, then your production increases. So yeah, we have that available to, to our customers. Yeah. And, and you're right. Flat rate is kind of a, uh, it can be a, a raw subject for, for some shop owners, for, for the industry itself. Yeah. I just recently, uh, wrote an article for our newsletter that I was, uh, I was contacted by a recruiter that was looking to recruit uh he his his position was to recruit technicians for dealerships in the texas arizona mm -hmm. down in, the, in that area of the country and uh, i had written an article a few years ago or on flat rate or not and talked about some different ideas uh and how the technician could be paid and he called me and his his reaction was like the industry at his level, at the OE dealership level, had never even thought about, you know, blending flat rate and, and salary and production. And, and uh, I was just amazed that, and, and he talked about the, the struggle that he has finding technicians and that are willing to, to first off uh, relocate a lot of the time and, and just to change. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was an interesting conversation and, and, you know, the flat rate product, uh, I worked flat rate, enjoyed mm -hmm. flat rate when the shop was yeah. busy. But, uh, if you have a service manager or uh, slow time of the year, you can starve to death on slow flat rate. So, uh, uh, and, and stand in the bay happily starving to death because it's all you got. Um, <clears throat> so there was a comment in the, in the article that I want to bring out and I'm going to, I'm going to read it verbatim. 
The first step is to establish that everyone in the company will always be in a position of apprenticeship where they are working with a mentor and everyone in the company will always be a mentor where they are sponsoring the growth of another. I think that statement needs to be, I think the industry needs to to look at that statement and dissect it and use it within their, and I'm going to say within distribution, within uh, service advisor, service manager, within dealerships, within aftermarket repair shops, I think that statement needs to be truly looked at and and, and implemented. Uh, it is uh, my current uh, pet project, if you will, to try to influence industry towards that. It's what we're implementing uh, with our PTAC school. It's what we're uh, focused on uh, with uh, the training and the and the. Uh, speaking opportunities that we have uh, in industry. It's what we're focused on in uh, the Road to Great Technicians project. Um, and, and it really is more of a mindset than anything uh, else. Uh, it's, it doesn't have to be 100% structured in the way that we were talking about a mentorship after uh graduation from a vocational program uh, or CTE, uh, but it is the, the concept of always wanting to move forward and hiring to that. I think that shop owners today, because of the lack of, of people in the pipeline and the, and the lack of industry efforts in attracting uh, the right people to our industry, which we're working on, and that's going to take time to accomplish. But if we can illustrate the opportunities that are available to everybody in the industry, not just the kids that we're trying to uh, influence in the elementary schools and the middle schools and high schools, but the six-year seasoned tech that's standing in the service bay wondering to himself, is this it? Is this all there is to this? So that we can see growth. I see so much in the way, in our industry, in the way of stagnation uh, of position. And that is a technician that's been a technician since he got out of vocational school and he's 55 years old and he's still doing the same thing and he's tired and he wishes he'd have, have gotten into some other line of work. Uh, he wishes that uh, he was younger so that he could take a different path. Um, we need to take those those 30-somethings, millennials. We need to take the millennials and uh, describe for them and define for them and offer to them the opportunities that are available in this industry and help them reach those uh, or or meet those opportunities and seek them. If we don't, the problem that we have today with the technician shortage is going to spike and it's going to, and the industry is going to change dramatically and then it'll happen again in 20 years. Yeah. I, one thing that, um, I was, uh, let's see, it was, it's two months ago. I was asked to be a keynote speaker at the Illinois college of automotive instructors association conference. And, uh, a great group of people, great group of technicians, uh, instructors. Uh, but during the keynote, I just asked, and, and this is a concern of mine, kind of on the back burner, and, and it kind of relates to what you just said. I asked the room, I said, how many of you in here are at 55 years old or older? And and 45 to 50% of them raised their hand. Yeah. Those Those instructors are getting ready to retire. And that's just in the state of Illinois. What, I mean, and, and going back to what you was talking about, showing this career path, you know, that gentleman that's, let's say, 40 and is in the Bay and is like, is this all there is? Well, I, you know, with experience that he has, how much value does that bring if he was to transition into a, a community college program as an instructor? 
I, I think there's opportunity there. The retrograde technicians uh, project uh, is still in its, uh, it's still in process. We're still in the middle of designing the career path uh, process, but an element of that piece uh, that we're implementing uh, in our group as well is a proof of skill concept. Uh, and that means today you go to training because uh, you want to learn about something just in case, you know, it shows up in your bag. Uh, so we're working towards creating a more meaningful path uh, with, uh, with milestones and, and uh, growth built into it. But at the end of each step within that path, how do you know that the tech can do the job? until the job shows up and they prove they can or can't. Uh, and so we're modeling what we call a proof of skill based on the FAA's concept for or requirements for a private pilot or an a and mechanic. And they have a three-legged stool. First, you need to pass a written exam. Well, we have that. That's called ASE testing. The second thing they need to, to do is uh, pass an oral exam. And then they have to pass a hands-on or practical test. They need to prove they have the skill. Uh, and so we're, we're going to build out and model that uh, in the Road to Great Technicians team, um, a model that uh, allows a technician to get through the curriculum path uh, and the prerequisites for becoming, say, a master tech or a senior tech or whatever the position is called. And before they can be certified as that position in industry, and we have ASE involved in this work, so we will be using the term certified in a more meaningful way, they, they have to set an appointment with a certified examiner at an examination site where they take the oral exam, which is two or three questions that are asked by the examiner out of a bucket of questions for that position. And if they get through the oral exam, then they do one or two tasks in the lab, in the shop, out of a bucket of, of tasks that they can choose from, that the examiner can choose from. So you have to be prepared for them all. And if you prove that, then the examiner signs off that you're now a certified master technician. Well, we believe that certification process, the examiner and the examination site should be or could be a vocational instructor at a vocational school, giving the school another revenue stream that puts that money back in the education cycle so that we can recycle it and they can build more technicians for us to mentor and bring along through this pathway. And so it's that proof of skill piece that I think we can, uh, that we can use to encourage those to get into vocational education, to give those that are in vocational education uh, more meaning uh, and uh uh, a revenue stream for the schools that are always looking for money. Uh, and at the end of the day, it produces a more uh, appropriate and skilled technician uh, for the consumer to take their car to. So that's kind of where our head's at. Well, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that uh, being an ASC three category master certified technician myself and, and obviously been taking research tests for several years. And, and I've had people ask me, consumers, and one of my many faults, I'll put it that way, is that I have a tendency to be honest, even though at times I probably shouldn't. Uh, they'll ask me, well, what's ASE certification? And, and this is a vehicle owner. What does it prove? I said, well, it proves that I can take a test. It measures, yeah, it measures your knowledge base. It proves that I have the ability to take a test that is based on automotive questions. But does it prove that I have the ability to fix a vehicle? No. I mean, we have all experienced, and I'm not knocking the education field, but, you know, uh, professors and PhDs that, yeah, they had the ability to take a test, but when they apply it, it becomes different. Um, 
So I, that's exciting. I mean, everything that we've talked about is exciting, but that for me, uh, being able to, you know, for a young technician now, when someone asks them, well, what is, what is your certification mean? Well, it means that I can take a test and it also means that I have proven my abilities. Right. And I think that's, that's very key to, to, and fitting into fitting into the P-TECH plan and, and, and working forward. That's uh, that is, that's exciting. That's very exciting. Well, it, it provides value to becoming a technician. Yes. Um, it means something to those that are entering because there is a career path with opportunity and acknowledgement or recognition. And that recognition can be monetized. And so if all those things are put in place, now what prevents a shop owner from charging a fair uh, price for the services offered so that they can pay a certified technician a fair wage? Hi, nothing. nothing. Uh, I mean, and, and shop owners and uh, in, in the industry, I'll make this blanket statement because I mean, it's not true in every location and every repair shop, but we have been poor, if not pathetic at educating the consumer, the vehicle owner on what it actually takes to repair a vehicle today. Um, so being able to show that along with the piece of educating them on what exactly they're driving and what it takes to repair that is justification for the cost. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so all of this needs to be uh, in a business model that we can describe to uh, everyone in industry so that they they fully understand where the money flows. And the money flows, the money flow needs to be uh, appropriate uh, in lieu of let's let uh, the federal government provide us with grants and uh, funding to fund all this stuff, that's no different than the, that, that's no different than the issue. And I grew up on a farm. That's no different than subsidizing farmers. Uh, I agree with that. Build a fair market and allow it to, to allow capitalism to work. And so if we take the cost out of becoming a technician, which we didn't even touch on tools, but, the technician shouldn't have to own the tools. If you want to compete against all the other industries that are seeking the kids that we're seeking with the technologies that we have and require, don't encumber your production line with ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of tools. It's interesting you say that, and that, and then. Believe me, I believe we could have a complete episode on just talking about what's required okay. of a tech, young technician. But, uh, you yeah. know, where I'm located, I'm located in southern Indiana, and we have a Toyota manufacturing facility just up the road. And I'm very familiar and very good friends with a lot of the local uh, instructors, uh, automotive instructors. And they tell me that they lose more prospective good technicians that leave their program and they go directly to that manufacturing. And I asked him, I said, well, yep. what, I mean, obviously it's the same skill set, but what draws them? And they say, well, they don't have to buy tools. That's the, that's the first draw. The second draw is the benefits. Yep. So yeah, we definitely need yep. to look at that as an industry. And, and, and I've, I've harped on that for quite a few years. So we, we've had some, I mean, this is a rich conversation and I'm thankful for it and thankful for your time, Chris. One thing I would like to ask if I was, if you were, and you have, uh, obviously, uh, but if you were to give a keynote speech to a group of, of young industry professionals and, and I'm talking about sea level, uh, in the aftermarket and future sea level, um, Strictly to the industry. We're not talking about technicians. Mm -hmm. What would be your words to them? Mm -hmm. Well, I, 
You know, that's a great question, Richard. And it's, uh, I've had the opportunity to, to do that uh, many times. And my tact, especially with youngsters today that are so immersed in technology and, and think they know what they want. And, and uh, we make light of uh, a lot of the, the things that uh, they say and do. And uh, we have all these misconceptions about the millennials and the, and the Z generation. And I would challenge them all with, uh, you all are here for a reason. You made a decision to, to enter this industry or you wouldn't be in the room. So I, I'd ask them to, to visualize what they see themselves doing in 10 years. And so visualize what that is. And it may be something very specific. It may be that you want to be, uh, you know, that a tech, uh, uh, in the shop that you work at today or that you interned in because that guy's got a great, uh, car. He's got a big truck. He's got a house. He's got, great family, or it might be uh, that you are into racing and you want to be a NASCAR uh, engine builder or something like that. But but whatever that vision is, or maybe you really don't have a vision, but I challenge them, if you don't have anything in, in sight, think, think big. Think that maybe you're going to own five shops or 10 shops, and you're going to be that shop owner that, that has those five shops and has the ability to travel uh, because you run those shops so well and you, you have a, a big bank account and you buy a new car every year. Just think big. Now, while you're thinking and you're visualizing that dream, how do you get there? Can you see the pathway to get there? And if you, can see the pathway to get there, go back and thank your instructor that, that shared that vision and defined the path of the mountain for you. I use uh, Simon Sinek as inspiration on a daily basis. Uh, I discovered Simon Sinek uh, a year and a half ago at Christmas. He's a British American author uh, that speaks to leadership and he defined the millennial question in various uh, humorous ways. Uh, but his best definition for me was a millennial really knows what they want to be and what they want to do. It's as if they're standing at the base of a mountain and they can see their vision at the top of that mountain. They simply can't see the mountain. Yeah. And so we need to define that for them. Because a response to his statement and his videos and his speeches that he's done by a, uh, a graduate student from NYU very simply stated this, yes, but give us a chance, invest time in us, and define and describe the path up the mountain. And so I challenge everybody that I speak to to take and find a mentor that will show you that pathway, but you're going to find during that pathway that you have scenic overlooks that you're going to come across every day, every week, every year, and don't discount stopping at those scenic overlooks because you may think you know what you want to be until you pull off on a scenic overlook and you find your passion. And that's where you very quickly recognize the pathway that you want to take. And so we can encourage our youth to think that way and to seek that pathway. We'll all win in the, at the end of the day. Well, that's yeah. Uh, and, and I, you, I, I am a Simon Sinek fan also. And, uh, you know, the way he defines that and the way he can, he just cuts through the, the, the clutter and, and, uh, it's very inspiring in everything that he, that he, publishes and prints uh, you know the the conversation that we've had chris i know you're you're 
very busy schedule. Um, and, and I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and, and I, I humbly am thankful that you, uh, took time to, to talk to me and, and the listeners. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you, uh, you, you, you bring, I, I greatly appreciate the, uh, points that you bring and, and where you're bringing them from. I mean, it, your sincerity, I, I thank you for that. Um, you know, and, and starting out, you, you started out as a technician, uh, you know, and moved a path and, and follow the path that's not unlike a lot of others. But uh, I'm thankful for you taking your your position in the industry and being vocal and, and trying to move the industry forward. So I thank you for those. If there was one thing and what you just spoke on was is definitely uh, a rich information. But is there is there one thing you want to leave the listeners with today? Well, I think you're. Your listeners, being who they are, uh, I just encourage uh, uh, everyone from uh, the business side to, to get committed uh, to the cause. Uh, that means uh, get involved with your local schools. Uh, being involved with the school doesn't mean showing up to an annual advisory council meeting for pizza. It means getting heavily involved and being committed to a reviewing curriculum and and setting standards uh, of expectation for the school and the instructors. Uh, and for the students uh, and the young technicians that uh, are listening, uh, just know that these are the most exciting times that this industry has ever had. I wish I was 18 years old again, because what we are gonna see in the next 10 years is so exciting, you won't be asked to, the, the, if you seek a career in this industry and you you want to do uh, the high-end diagnostic side of, of business, imagine 10 years from now, sitting in a clean office, probably sitting at home, connected uh, through the web, uh, through a wearable device, managing a thousand vehicles that are under your supervision, uh, and connecting with them remotely through the air, uh, uploading, upgrading, managing uh, those vehicles uh, remotely, wirelessly, uh, where you are challenged like you've never been challenged before, but you're serving a community in a way that, that we never envisioned before. Uh, that's right in front of us, and you have an opportunity to make a great life out of it. Yeah. That makes me want to be 18 again, especially if I could get a new body. I don't think my body would handle <laughs> my 18 years. I share your pain, brother. <laughs> well, Chris, as always, I mean, I, I thank you for your time and I thank you for your involvement. I, I appreciate it. And, and from the audience, uh, I thank you and I appreciate it and look forward to future conversations. Thanks for listening to this episode of Technician Academy's podcast, brought to you by Extend Performance. Be sure to rate us on iTunes or Google Play and visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Please help us spread our Respect is Learn message by liking and sharing our content on your social media platforms. Technician.academy, where respect is learned.